You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, uh, we are continuing in the I Am series. Hopefully you've been joining us. If not, or even if you have, uh, by way of review, a couple of statements. There's really, I think, two major reasons why uh, Jesus had these I Am statements. Number one, maybe most important, is Jesus is making an emphatic a definitive statement that I am God in the flesh. Uh, much more than a teacher, a moral uh, example, guy who leads us to God, all the ways that other people will characterize who Jesus is, a prophet, all those things, much more. He is God in the flesh. Nothing else really matters. In fact, our Christian faith means nothing if he is not God in the flesh. So that, that'd be number one, he's making these statements. Number two, he is confronting kind of major gods of the day. I mentioned this last week, but uh, Ceres was the god of bread. Ceres is the god you go to if you want to be provided for, be satisfied. Uh, Apollo was the god of light. Uh, you had Bacchus, the uh, god of the vine, the god of wine, the god of partying. Uh, that's where you can have fullness in your life. Just uh, follow Bacchus. Uh, last week we talked about Janus, the Roman god, the god of the doorway, the god of transitions, the god of the threshold. How do I know where I'm going? Uh, today I'm not going to focus on the god. We have too much uh, ground to cover. But uh, it would be Pan or Fauna. You know, we get our terms Peter Pan or Pied Piper. Both come out of that tradition uh, that Pan was the god of shepherds or god of flocks. He was known as the Good Shepherd, um, but Pied Piper and the Peter Pan were both figures that people followed, um, he, that image of shepherd or, or leading people. So that's that introduction. Uh, I think uh, I wanted to make a couple of comments about last week. Uh, again, we talked about the door. Jesus is the door. How can we have confidence in our future? How can we have confidence in transition times in our life? That's what Jesus offers and I mentioned, um, you know, that you can focus on, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll through kind of two stories that I wanted to make sure we delineate here. One is the good life. That's what our culture, uh, lots of doors that offer the good life. Uh, and we talked about college or education is one of the most valued things in our culture. Uh, you get good grades so you can get to college, so you can get your degree, so you can get a great job job that has benefits, uh, a retirement plan. Uh, ultimately, the goal is I want security for my life, and that's the doorway. And there could be other things that offer that, but I th- college was a great example to me because education is such a, a key in our culture. We're realizing today uh, that look, look at what it's cost us. Look at the amount of student debt, what, what we give to that effort. And I think we're realizing we maybe don't really need a college degree the way we did before, except for certain areas where we just need more education, more training. Um, anyway, uh, Jesus comes along and says, those are great things. And I just want to emphasize, it's not the list that's bad. It's the story that's bad. Because if we depend on those things for our security, if that's our door, then we're going to be disappointed. Uh, Jesus says, I offer you an abundant life, richer than the good life. I mean, involve things of the good life. But the focus is different. As you follow Jesus, you begin to know what it's like to love. Uh, you know what it's like 
to have a sense of justice. You really are taking on characteristics of the God that you follow. You're becoming more like him, and your life as a result will become abundant. Uh, the Beatitudes is a way that Jesus kind of portrayed, and it wasn't all rosy. I mean, blessed are the persecuted, the poor in spirit. Uh, it's possible to not have the good life things and still have an abundant life because you're following Jesus. Uh, goes on, mercy, uh, faithfulness, and finally kind of the end line of that is this heart, this attitude of generosity, which is really God's heart, is a generous heart. Uh, it's hard to have generosity if, if you are focused on the good life. Why? Because the good life is characterized by self-preservation. Everything you do is designed to, how can I benefit myself? All of your time, attention, money is going into building security for your life. Uh, and it's full of fear and worry and anxiety because we talked about that's the way you engage the gods of the culture, with fear, uncertainty, anxiety. Whereas with Jesus, if you're following him, uh, you have trust and freedom. Maybe not knowing the future, but you know the one who holds the future. And it, it's characterized more by self-sacrifice. And again, it's very difficult to be generous if you're hoarding for your own security. Uh, but, and again, it's, generosity is displayed not just in money, but in time and, and the way we treat others and the way we display uh, God's love to others, win God. So, uh, put that in there. There's a verse that kind of goes with this, came to me this week, Philippians 2. This is what Paul says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking, and it says, I the translation, not looking to your, only to your own interests, uh, but also to the interests of others. Um, so that's, that's the abundant life. Uh, just wanted to clarify that one. Uh, today we're shifting into what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. And we can't talk about shepherd unless we talk about sheep. Um, so this is going to be difficult to hear a little bit. <laughs> sheep, by the way, is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. It's uh, by far the most noted animal listed in the Bible. Uh, sheep are <laughs> the most uh, dependent, uh, helpless, if you will, domesticated animal on the planet. Uh, they, they cannot exist without a shepherd. Uh, no other tender of animals. You can leave animals for the most part, a lot of times, to themselves. They'll be fine. You just need to take care of them, feed them, but not sheep. Sheep have to have a constant shepherd's presence or they will die. Um, sad, sad deal, but that's what domesticating animals did in the case of sheep. Um, if sheep, if they graze, they graze just staring down at the ground and they'll graze until they're <laughs> two or three hours later. They may just raise their head and go, oh, nobody else is here. Hmm. Hmm, I'm lost. <laughs> and that's bad enough. But sheep have absolutely no homing instinct. They cannot. There's, it's, it's almost physically impossible for them to find their way. They won't even attempt to, to find their way back to the pen or to the flock. Uh, they'll wander around in circles, and, and unless uh, the shepherd comes for them, they're, they're toast. Um, that's sheep. They're easily injured. Uh, they can't, they're easily injured. They're defenseless, totally defenseless against predators. You think of the animal world, and it's kind of fun to see all the camouflage and the ways that animals can protect themselves from predators. And you think, oh, that's clever. That's interesting. 
cool that God made animals in different ways. <laughs> Sheep have nothing. They had absolutely nothing in their defense system. Um, if they, uh, you know, if they get into water, any kind of moving stream, or if they fall into a lake, they they drown. They, it's not, they can't swim. They can't right themselves. They they're toast. Um, if they uh, if they fall in a ditch, well, let's take a look at that one. That was that was kind of worth looking at. I think we got a little video here. It's really hard to find that little trench again, but he did. Yay, sheep. Uh, well, you know, it doesn't portray sheep in the best light, does it? But I would rather, because we tend to get offended a bit and say, really, that's how God looks at us? And I don't think we focus on, because of our pride, we focus on, oh, we're not stupid, we're not. But I think what God's trying to get across in this, using sheep as a, a really true and accurate analogy is, is the fact that sheep are totally dependent. They, their life depends on following a shepherd. That's just the reality of sheep life. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to look at the shepherd. And the shepherd is characterized, and I, I love this, again, just to, the uniqueness of that position. A shepherd is a leader, a protector, a provider, and maybe most important, he's a constant companion of the sheep, 24-7. Shepherd's with his sheep all day long, every meal, sleeps with them, um, because they can't do anything without his presence. Uh, that, that's the picture I want to leave us with. That's what a shepherd is designed for, for a totally dependent animal. Um, and our pride kind of tells us, I don't need God. I don't need a shepherd. I can take care of myself. And I think God's trying to say, no, you're like a sheep in that sense. You're like a sheep in that sense. You, you cannot uh, take care of yourself. Well, it was always God's intention to shepherd his sheep, to shepherd his new nation of Israel. When God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, addressing Moses, he kind of said, you are going to lead my flock into a new land, into a new pasture, if you will. Um, I am going to be their shepherd. Uh, there's a moment, uh, really a key moment. I think we may have touched on this back when we did Exodus. But God is really upset with the people of this new nation. After a couple of weeks uh, being freed from Egypt, they're not doing very well. They've rebelled. They've uh, worshipped a calf, golden idol. And God finally just tells Moses, hey, the land is still there, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to lead you. I'm not going to go before you. Uh, You're going to have to go on your own. And Moses says, in essence, paraphrasing, if you don't go, we're going to die. You might as well kill me. We will not survive unless you lead us. The people will not survive. And I just, I think that's a prophetic statement. Uh, God finally relents and says he will go before him. And he did. He went in a cloud and pillar of fire and he led them uh, into the land. And then it was his intention to always be their shepherd. And for 400 years, as a new nation, he more or less did that. You know, Moses kind of got word from God, and here's what we need to do, and gave him direction all the time. And, um, but then the people kind of looked around and said, you know, every other nation in this world that we live in has a king. They have a human shepherd, if you will. We want a shepherd. We want a king. Um, so they said, God, we don't need you as a shepherd. We want a king. We want somebody we can see and feel and follow. Uh, and we're not doing very well with you. So 
they rebelled. God gave in. said, okay. And we all know it didn't go well. Um, he had Saul raised up. Saul looked like the perfect shepherd, the perfect king. You know, he was a military guy. He was big, handsome, uh, all of that. But he failed miserably as a shepherd. He failed personally as a shepherd, but a sheep is incapable of leading other sheep. Uh, that was the lesson. David is the only king in all of Israel's history in the Bible that was labeled a shepherd of the, the people. Uh, everyone else failed. Religious leaders, we looked at that a little bit last week. Um, but <clears throat> there's a couple of verses here. Ezekiel, this is like, again, seven or 800 years before Christ, about halfway between becoming a nation and Jesus coming back. This is what God prophesies in, Eze- in uh, Ezekiel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every hill, every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. So he's kind of said, this is the state of my flock, my people, because people would not shepherd them. They're incapable of shepherding like I want to. So he goes on, Ezekiel 34, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed on a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Um, So here's God saying, you know, I, I started out that way. I wanted to lead you. You rejected me. This is what every other shepherd uh, has, ways they failed. I'm going to come back and do what I always wanted to do. He's really prophesying ahead to when Jesus would come and be the shepherd, be God in the flesh and shepherd his people again. Uh, When Jesus was on the scene in Matthew, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then we read this last week in connection to the door, but I want to read it again for in connection with the shepherd. Uh, John 10, 1 to 5, Jesus says, again, he, he's addressing the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by another way, he's a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I love that 
That picture is awesome. Uh, that picture of dependence, their whole security, all of what will lead them to life depends on the voice of the shepherd. That's the, the mark of a relationship uh, with the shepherd. It's, in, it's personal. It's relational. Uh, I, I love that image. Uh, I want to show a quick little video here on what that looks like. To Such a great image of sheep that know they recognize the voice of the shepherd. And I just, that's a question I want to ask this morning is, do you recognize the voice of the shepherd? How do you know his voice? How do you hear him? Uh, because that's the, that's the key. That's the only link to security and life for the sheep is knowing the voice of the shepherd. It's that, it's that critical. Um, well, I will just say this. It's, it's based on relationship. <laughs> you know, clearly, unless one of the characteristics of shepherd, he's with them constantly. Well, when you're with him constantly, you'll hear his voice. You'll know, get to know his voice. Uh, some of you are very sh- observant, sharp people. You probably notice I have hearing aids. Uh, I don't hear so well. Uh, there was a time just a few years ago where I didn't really have sufficient hearing aid help. And I, was, uh, I remember my hearing aid went out on me, and then I'm totally, I can't hear anything. It's uh, not good. But I just was reminded of this this morning, that... Even with that, if I'm in a crowd of people, I'll always recognize Judy's voice. I'll always recognize my wife's voice. If I can just hear it a little bit, uh, I can be a crowd of people, oh, Judy's over there. Uh, I will hear nothing anybody's saying, but I will recognize her voice. And that's only because I'm constantly with her. You get to know the nuances of each other's voice. And I think that's the picture I want to leave us with, with the Good Shepherd. Uh, how, do we, how do we get that voice? Well, number one, how do we hear that? We have to be in earshot. I mean, that's the first obvious thing. How close are you? How, are you in earshot to hear uh, his voice? Uh, several ways we can do that. Uh, you know, his word, if we read his word, his word is designed to be his voice in our life. Uh, do we hear him in, in what he's writing? Because the, the Bible is not a textbook. It's, it's living and active. Uh, it wants to speak to us. Uh, so if we're not tuned into the Bible, we may not hear his voice. Uh, prayer is the second way. You know, it was only maybe 15 years or so ago before I really saw the value of, of simply listening in prayer. Because till then, it was always prayer was about what I was trying to tell God. <laughs> but listening prayer is so powerful when you just sit and just to listen uh, and pray. He builds your ability to hear his voice just in that connection. But you may have to tune other things out. You may have to be in a, in a place of you know, less distraction. Uh, I'll use an analogy here which will date me and embarrass me, but that's okay. It's a good analogy anyway. Uh, I happen to have fixed radio stations. By the way, for some of you, the radio is a thing in the middle of your dash that you can listen to all sorts of things, sports, music. Uh, Christian worship, you can listen to a lot of things. But if you're like me, a lot of you have your program stations, the things you like to listen to. All you do is push the button, and there it is. And then you leave town, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't have my playlist. i I got to find a station here in Seattle or Portland or wherever I'm traveling to. And so you'll take time to kind of tune in until you find the, oh, there's the voice I recognize. And that'll be your station where you're going. And you maybe want to program, well, that's my Seattle, you know, talk radio, whatever, sports. 
Damn, right there, ESPN. Um, but it takes time to tune in and get through the static, and you have to line that up uh, to hear his voice. So it takes some tuning your life to him. Uh, because the other problem is there's lots of other voices in our world. Uh, again, that kind of like the door, there's lots of voices you could listen to. Uh, some are good. Some are great voices. You got our, you know, your family's voice you get used to. You get your parents' voice, all of which are good. Maybe you have a close relationship, whether it's a, a great friend or a, a spouse. Uh, certainly that can be a great voice in your life. But it's not the good shepherd. And sometimes we let other voices take the place of uh, the good shepherd. Uh, but the key is what voice are you following? Uh, you know, it's convicting for me. We had our guys' small group last week, just happened to be on John 10 as we're walking through John. And I asked the question, what's the loudest voice in your life? And that was pretty convicting because I thought, you know, for me, it's, it's the loudest voice. The one that I hear the most in my world is probably social media. Uh, maybe if you include radio, it's, it's, just, it's just that constant background noise of here's what the world is and here's, here's advice for you or here's uh, music that will direct you. Um, and we just kind of, is that the voice we're following? Or are we tuned in uh, to the good shepherd's voice? Because only the good shepherd, only the door leads to life and life to the full. Uh, that's what Jesus is trying to, to say. Well, I want to give a kind of a picture of what that looks like. Uh, again, David was the only king characterized as a good shepherd. Maybe that's because David was a shepherd. He spent a lot of time uh, in his early years as a shepherd. And so he understands that connection very well. And he got to know God very well because he was spent a lot of time listening to God uh, as he was tending sheep. So it was kind of a dual relationship. But he wrote one of the more popular passages of the Bible, Psalm 23, and most of us have heard before. Um, but I just want to go through it kind of line by line with this perspective of what it means to, to follow the good shepherd. Uh, here's what the picture looks like. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He starts out with, you know, as we follow God, as we follow Jesus, uh, I will not be in want. I will lack nothing. Um, and I wonder if we, that's the way we look at our life initially. I, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. We may not get everything we want, but we will lack nothing, uh, I think is the emphasis there. Second, he want, he. Uh, makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Uh, the only time sheep lie down, they very rarely lie down because they're either jittery or they're feeding somewhere. Uh, but only when they're full and they're satisfied and they're at peace, or they feel like they're in a secure place, they'll lie down. Um, and I think that's a picture God wants to give us. You'll lack nothing, you'll be satisfied, and you'll be able to lie down. You'll be at peace in life. Um, great picture. Then he goes on to say, he leads me, oop, back up there a little bit. He leads me beside the still waters. We talked about uh, sheep that are fearfully, uh, they, they hate moving water because they know if they get into that water, they're going to die. And so I love that. He leads me beside still water. God wants to lead us to still water to drink. He wants to take fears away from us so that we can feed, that it doesn't erode our, our life. There's uh, I think I mentioned it a few months ago in another uh, message, but there's this inseparable bond between fear and faith in the Bible. Uh, there, it's the most used command, if you will, of Jesus or exhortation to, 
can't remember how many times he uses it, but he often says, do not fear. But almost every occasion he follows it with, because I am with you. Do not fear, for I am here. Do not fear, I will be with you always. There's this connection between if he's, if he's present in our life, even in times of fear, we don't need to fear. He can take that fear away from us. Um, but it depends on being with him. Uh, we, uh, speaking of which, you know, when uh, Kelly talked about the vine, what was the whole point of the vine? The vine, we will have, uh, we will bear much fruit if we stick with him. It only requires us to abide, to stick with him, to be with him, to be in his presence, to be in earshot. If we will do that, then we'll have things in our life. We'll have a rich, uh, full life, but it depends on being connected. Uh, then he goes on to say, he restores my soul. Uh, I think that's kind of self-explanatory, but I think that's the, the focus of God being our shepherd. He wants to restore us, make us what he designed us to be, restore us to the way that we were always meant to be. And I think that's, as a good shepherd, he will lead us in that direction. Uh, and then he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, which is kind of a weird phrase, but it was so Interesting when I found out that this is still a phrase used in Israel today. Shepherds will refer to places that sheep are led as paths of righteousness. Here's a picture of a hillside, much like the one that we, uh, Judy and I saw when we went to Israel a number of years ago. Uh, but these paths, if you asked a shepherd in Israel, what, what is this? Oh, those are paths of righteousness. They still call them that, which is kind of cool. Uh, and I thought when I looked at this hillside or hillside just like it. I thought, well, each of these lines, is that like a different time that the shepherd took a sheep through that one line? And uh, Marty was with us. No, no, that just means there are several lines that the sheep will fall in into on the hillside. It's a hillside. By the way, the shepherd knows which hills have had rain, which hills are humid. By the way, it doesn't look like green pastures, does it? We think, you know, when I was talking about green pastures, we have this lush green kind of like Idaho dairy farm uh, ground. This is what the vast majority of uh, the pastures look like in Israel. Uh, So again, it's dependent on the shepherd being able to lead them to the right hillsides that have maybe nothing more than sprouts of grass, but enough as they walk across the hillside to to take care of them as they they go. But I think the image that I was given or, or came away with was, oh, then the sheep really have great, freedom uh, within that being led. As long as they're in earshot, as long as they're following the shepherd, they can take different paths. That's okay. Uh, God gives us that freedom as long as we're going in the same direction. We're, we're following his, his voice, his lead. Um, so there's that. And then paths of righteousness. Why, did, why is it called that? I think sometimes we get confused because a lot of people will think that righteousness means essentially right behavior. That righteousness means I'm good enough or I'm, I'm a moral person. But that's not what righteousness means in the Hebrew. Righteousness means right relationship. Uh, and that's a much better description. We're, in a, we're following him. We're leading. He's leading us. We're in a right path. We're in a path of righteousness and a right relationship. Uh, that's the image he wants to give us. Uh, then famous passage, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Uh, that's, that same fear and faith analogy comes back. 
Uh, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm in your presence. Um, and it could be a time in life. Uh, maybe some of you are in that time. Maybe there are health reasons or other just negative times in life. Uh, and I, he's saying, I will take you through this. And ultimately, we'll all face the valley of death. And God says, even then, you don't need to fear. Because this is an eternal relationship. All of us will face that door as well. But only if we're connected to the shepherd will we make it through that uh, as well. So there's that security, why we don't need to fear, even in the face of, of death. Then he goes on to say, Thy, the, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, interesting phrases if we don't not familiar with what the rod and staff are. Most of us kind of have an image, a right image of a staff. is kind of a long, many times a hooked uh, stick-like thing. That's the staff. Moses always had his staff. Um, but in, a, in, that, in that sense, a staff is used by the shepherd a lot of times just to kind of gently uh, direct sheep, kind of extend his reach, if you will. Maybe it uh, uses the hook end of it to, to bring people people to bring sheep back into line or get them back into the the right path. Um, So that certainly is a source of comfort. But then he also says, your rod and your staff comfort me. And the rod would be kind of just just a club that they had. And a club would be used both for predators that they could hurl at and got pretty good at, like hitting wolves on the run or hitting other predators that would threaten the sheep. But he also used it on sheep occasionally if they got out of line. Just wandered off too far. Hey, get back over here. Um, but I love how David says both of those things comfort me. I need both your, your presence and your direction. I also need your discipline, both of which will lead me in the right path. That's why it's a comfort to the sheep. Um, he goes on to say, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, and that's an interesting phrase. I had a hard time putting my head around that for a few times I read it, I realized what the, the image is, a table would be a flat pasture area. And typically a uh, shepherd would go ahead at the, maybe the day before or uh, the night before he, they were going to a new pasture area. He would go and prepare that pasture. He'd have cleared of things like weeds or snakes or scorpions or enemies that may threaten them. Or maybe he'd fill in holes that were in that pasture the sheep wouldn't fall into or hurt, injure themselves or break a leg. Uh, maybe there's noxious weeds in that pasture that he would take out. So it was a, quite an effort to prepare the table, if you will, before my enemies. So we can be assured that when God leads us, when God goes before us, he's always two steps ahead of us. He's always preparing the way, if we're following his voice. Um, he can take care of things before they happen. I, I, I am sure there's lots of things in my life that I'm totally unaware of how he kept me from falling into some bad situations if I was following his steps. Why do I believe that? Because I know there's lots of times where I've, I've fallen into things and been injured, and I've, because I wasn't. I was going my own direction, or I was going away from his voice, and I was going to a, a table, if you will, that wasn't prepared, uh, that I wasn't prepared for. Um, so that's, uh, uh, again, a great picture. He goes on to say, he anoints my head with oil. Uh, that's a common tool that our shepherds had. They'd have a big flask of oil, and they would use it to protect the sheep. Uh, how does that play out? Why is that needed? Well, the best example I can give you when I was, Judy and I were, have been on a couple of mountain climbing 
backpacking trips, and there's this line between the mountain and the tree line, kind of right in between there, there's this layer that's just dominated by flies and gnats, and they're just swarm all over you. And I don't know if you've ever been on a hiking trip where you ran into those kind of swarms, but they're unbearable in some ways. It's just like you can't keep them off your face. You have to wear a net over your face just to make it bearable. And I, I don't know if it's a sense of humor, but the guy would say, oh, we're going to have lunch now. It's like, oh, seriously? And they, what did they give us for lunch? Like honey, peanut butter, crackers. You know, it's, it's like seriously. You know, you're, just, you're in misery eating this stuff and trying to protect your face and take a bite and cover your face. And, and I just, that's the image I have when I think of the shepherd anoints the sheep's head with oil because that oil will protect them from those, uh, just the oppressive, constant nagging, if you will, of the presence of flies and gnats and, and stuff. And I think that's just the, the things in life that just wear on us, that oppress us a bit. Uh, the oil is a uh, representation of the Holy Spirit, that when we are following the shepherd, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He anoints us, if you will, with the Holy Spirit that keeps those annoying, oppressive things at bay. Um, they're present all the time, but he wants to protect us from that. So he anoints our heads with oil. Um, then he said, uh, simply, my cup runs over, uh, runneth over, if you're into the old English. Um, and again, I love that because not only he starts out this passage with, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have what I need, but he goes on to say, my cup runs over. I have even more than I, than I need. I think that's, if we have that picture, that God isn't holding on on us. He's not only not holding on on us, he wants to give us more than we can imagine. In Ephesians 2, or 3.20, it says this. Uh, there it is. Ephesians. Am I in the wrong place? Ephesians 3.20. Oh, yeah, right there. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, all we could ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within us. I don't know how you uh, read that, but that astounds me because I don't know about you, I can think of a lot of things. Um, more than I can ask or even imagine. I can imagine a lot. So I love that. He's, God is so generous. God is so willing to bless us, but it can't happen unless we're in his presence. It can't happen unless we're following his voice, his lead in our life. Um, and then he ends with, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, I love that phrasing, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's like, as I follow him, goodness and mercy will follow behind me. It's like we leave these trails of, of God's presence, like goodness and mercy for others to, to kind of fall into. It's like, I want to be like that. I want to, I want to be that sheep. Uh, I want that goodness and that mercy I see in their life. I think that's kind of the phrase he's using is those, those things follow me to attract other people to this, to this walk I have. Um, and then ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was always God's intention that we live in relationship with him for eternity. Uh, as it is right now, we have a life that we have to live outside of his physical presence. But after that doorway opens, uh, we will be with the shepherd for, for eternity, constantly giving us all that we need, more than we can imagine, um, without the, the distractions. Well, there's the picture. There's the picture of a, a good shepherd. Uh, 
our protector, our provider, our leader, and our constant companion. And I just want us to dwell on that image and just kind of look at our own life and say, where, where do I fit into that? How would I picture my, as a sheep with the shepherd, where, where's my position in that illustration? Um, and then finally, Jesus says this. Uh, this is the ending of that John 10 passage. I left it for the end here. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he shifts his attention to us. Up until now, he's talking about his Jewish brethren, brothers and sisters. Now he turns his attention to us. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I authority have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Um, in those seven, eight verses, he uses the term, I lay down my life five times. Um, he's trying to make it clear that the number one quality of being a good shepherd, being the good shepherd, I am the good shepherd, is that I lay down my life for my sheep. That's how intimate, personal, and attentive he is to, to what we need. As we mentioned, a sheep that gets, whether it's, whether it's by just getting distracted, finds itself separated from the, sh- from the flock, whether it's a sheep that says, you know what, I don't want to follow the shepherd anymore and just openly rebels against the shepherd and the flock, whether it's a sheep that gets wounded or injured and just can't keep up, maybe they're just unable to hear very well the shepherd's voice. Uh, None of those situations matter to the shepherd uh, because the shepherd will come after the sheep because it's lost, regardless of why it's lost. Um, That's what I want to leave us with uh, today is that picture. I want to, uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says this. Uh, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're all in the same. We're all sheep, friends. Uh, we are incapable of running our own life or living, existing, or surviving on our own. Uh, we will, we're made to follow. We will follow something. Uh, is it the good shepherd or is it an alternate voice? Um, that's the challenge. That's the question. Um, I just, I want us to remember that when Jesus says, I laid down my life for my sheep, that that's how he rescues us. Uh, you know, he hasn't physically come for us in that, in the, in that, in another way. He comes, the only way we can be rescued, the only way we can get back to the sheep pen, back to the flock, as if the shepherd will come after us. And he did that by laying down his life. Uh, I want to close with this kind of visual, that this is an image of a shepherd coming back to find a sheep. I mean, he will go until he finds it, comforts it. And again, it doesn't matter. This could be a sheep that openly rebelled. 
a sheep that was wandered off, a sheep that said, I don't want to be in this. Didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus came for us regardless because we are separated from him. We're separated from the flock. Our only option is will we follow his voice? Will we respond to what he's done to bring us back to him? Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.